Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So for today's show, uh, I'm here with Mark Preston, and some of you will have heard of Mark before, some of you won't. Mark is an absolutely fascinating guy. He is the CEO of the DS Techita Formula E team, and if that's not enough, he's also the founder of an amazing company called Street Drone, who are developing autonomous vehicle technology. So somehow, in his absolutely packed schedule, Mark has managed to uh, find the time to uh, take a few moments out to talk to me and, and make this episode of the podcast. So... Welcome, Mark. Great to talk to you today, Ryan. It's going to be a, a fun chat. Brilliant. So if we could get started, uh, if you could just sort of tell everyone a bit about your background and, and how you got to do what you're doing now. Sure. Uh, so I'm a mechanical engineer. Uh, I um, started in Australia uh, a number of years ago. I worked for companies like GM and um, Holden Special Vehicles, which is like the, the AMG of uh, GM in Australia. Um, I came over to the UK in 96 to work in Formula One, where I started in Arrows Grand Prix at the time. I worked my way up there um, from um, being a stress engineer uh, through to head of R&D. Then I went over to McLaren. So that was an interesting couple of years working at McLaren with people like Adrian Newey, um, which was uh, absolutely fascinating. Um, Then I decided to do my MBA at Oxford uh, to kind of switch to the, the business side of the world a bit. I um, also decided to start a Formula One team at the same time. And um, we started Super Aguri uh, Formula One team with Honda and Aguri Suzuki. And that was uh, fun for a couple of years until sadly the financial crash in 2008 meant that most Japanese companies pulled out of Formula One at the time. Um, I then went off and ran um, a composites company for a number of years, so carbon fiber manufacturing, but got involved in Formula E at the very beginning uh, when Alejandro uh, started the series um, and have been in that series um, ever since. We've won a number of titles in the series, um, championships, and um, at the same time, myself and a friend of mine, Mike Potts, decided to look at another area we thought was interesting in the future, which was autonomous cars. And so we started Street Dream, the autonomous car company, which Mike runs full time and I support him um, uh, in around schedules with racing so that's uh that brings you up to date basically so that was a really really quick trot uh through through what is quite an amazing history so um i'm going to go back in time a little bit so one of the things that um i, I massively respect about you and, and actually really love about your history is you're a proper engineer <laughs> um so you were you were like literally you studied mechanical engineering you you then you know, went into uh, sort of being a, a, a you know real engineer in in F one etc. What was the sort of thing that you know? What got you into engineering in the first place? What's the backstory there? Yeah, my so I suppose um, my grandfather was what they call a, a, a auto wrecker. I'm not, I think in England it's a salvage 
um, merchants, I think is the right thing. Um, so you take cars and pull them apart and sell the spare parts and, oh, yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so he was he was uh, one of those. My uncle is a was a farmer, and we went and lived on a farm when we were young in the middle of Australia. And um, so we used to fix trucks and you know drive cars and things around the farm. So always around people making things and and especially cars. So that's kind of where I got, I think, my um, passion for mechanical um, and engineering. Ah, okay. And then that led you to go off and study it. And then, I mean, was was Formula One a passion before that? Or, you know, was it, what made you decide to go in, into F1 as a career? Um, I, I suppose I actually, when I was at university, I did a fairly theoretical degree at Monash University in, in Melbourne. Um, I started. I started to do. Wanted to do some sort of practical elements. So I actually found there was a there was a race car company in Australia, not that far away from university. And I started. I actually went and started to work with them in my spare time, and started to get sort of really into into um, into motor racing. I did things like programming simulations and doing stress analysis of the race cars. Um, and so I got involved in that Formula Fords. So, in fact, we've got a crazy idea of maybe entering this as a trophy called the Walter Hayes Trophy here in the UK for historic Formula Fords. And we're thinking about maybe um, maybe running that race car, getting one of those race cars to do that that event uh, next year in um, sort of November time. Oh, wow. um, but that's what got me involved in that. And then in about, I actually, myself and my colleague um, who still runs the company, it's called um, Ball and Racing Cars in, in Melbourne. Um, we were looking at selling cars into Asia and someone said to me, um, unless you can help my son get into Formula One, we wouldn't buy the, the race cars. So I was like, ah, oh, so maybe I have to go to Formula One. And um, within about, I think it was about a month, and a couple of um, motor racing journalists convinced me that before I was 27, I better get over to, to the UK. So I, I came out within about a month. I decided, right, I'll be here for I'll go there for two weeks or two years, and now, 25 years later, uh, I'm still here uh, doing motor racing. <laughs> and you managed, I mean, I, uh, I think certainly, well, you, you know, it, it's a dream for a lot of people um, to, to get a, a job with, with, you know, a team like, um, you know, McLaren, what have you. So how, how did you open that first door? I think a lot of people would really love to know that. Yeah, so I suppose because I did, um, well, maybe starting at the beginning, what I often tell um, students, because I sometimes do some presentations to formula student teams and, and those kind of things, and I suppose I focused quite early on uh, having skills that were new. Right. So at the time, uh, stress analysis wasn't very well known, so that's figuring out how strong things are, so using computers and, and those kind of things. Um I also did simulation. I wrote my own simulations. Um, they didn't. You couldn't buy them back then. You you couldn't. Um, you couldn't just you know go and buy one off the shelf. So I did things. I focused th on things that were specialisms, which were sort of for the future. So um, that's that's the kind of um, focus I, I had. Um, and then so I started doing Formula Fords in Australia. I got involved in touring cars, and. When I came over to the UK, I actually did just send 10, 10 letters to the to Formula One teams, companies like Lola, um, Arrows, McLaren, Ferrari, and all that. And I organized, I think I had about um, eight interviews when I arrived. Yeah. 
basically Tom Okuchaw had bought Arrows, the Formula One team, and um, his the chief designer had to sort of step up to another level in a way, and he was the one that always did the stress analysis. So it was a very specialized job position, and because I'd done that stuff at GM and for race cars in in Australia, they it was kind of I don't know serendipity uh, or whatever you want to call it, but um. I do believe that, you know, you've got to make your own opportunities and, and when those opportunities, um, you know, arise, you've got to be ready to take them. And so I think that's what you call luck sometimes, you know, opportunity meets um, yeah. meets a desire and, and you, you know, sometimes you get in. So I think you've got to sort of focus and, you know, look at all the job ads that are coming up in there. Um, if you read uh, things like Autosport and um, motorsport, other motorsport magazines, and you start to see where the job types are. You know, you can see the jobs sort of coming up, and and you know, compare your skills with with what um, with what those job ads are. Um, yeah. Certainly now, nowadays, universities like Oxford Brooks, which is in Oxford here, is very close to and quite a lot of Formula One teams. So we've hired, I've hired people from Oxford Brooks, for example, over the years because. Uh, they've done Formula Student, and um, Brooks has got a, a great motorsport program. So um, that's another another route, I suppose, mm. uh, to uh, to motorsports. I guess the and and the your sort of um, you had a, a huge amount of hands-on practical experience as well as the more theoretical side, which I think uh, is a massive asset to anyone. You know, it's, it's all fine and well. I mean, I, I do, I do believe degrees and and that part is important, but uh, I think uh, a lot of young people get frustrated where they they go and they study and they work really hard, but then they find it difficult to get a job uh, afterwards, and, and particularly in an industry like F one that's hyper competitive. But um, with with all that practical experience as well, you would have been a really useful person that could have um, got basically got straight into it and and wouldn't have needed handholding at all. Yeah, exactly. And, and because I did a lot of things from scratch, like I wrote my own simulation from scratch, that forced me to actually learn all of the, you know, the maths and why and everything behind the scenes as to why that was um, sort of how and why a simulation worked. Um, so as I say, I think it's really, really good to specialize as much as you can, because mm. when you're hiring a young person, you might say, I've got a job for someone to be a CAD designer. So what's the thing they need? Know how to use CAD, you know? Yeah. Um, so having some sort of practical skills in a sort of a specialist way, I think is quite useful. So if you were a, wanted to be a tire engineer, for example, maybe you know how to do simulation of rubber or simulation of tires or things like that, but maybe some practical experience of working with tires in a, you know, in the Formula student team is always, the, I think, one of the best things, you know. Yeah, learning that in real life it looks a wee bit different to how it appears on the screen sometimes. Uh, yes. And there's gaps and clearances and how you're actually going to make that part and, and all that sort of thing, yeah. it's um, And then, so so you, you, you kind of went through those that, that time of, of being an employee and working and, and um, you know, supporting some great teams there. It must have been a big, step to go to you know setting setting up your own business of any sort huge risk huge risk and and quite scary and you know i've been through that myself a few times um setting up your own formula one team i mean a lot of people think i'm a bit crazy and I'm, i i wouldn't go there so um what 
why, I guess, was is the first question. And, and then how? <laughs> so how yeah. on earth did you pull that off at the time? Uh, that was probably a bit nuts. So I, I went and did the MBA and um, um, I, I, so I suppose I'd, start, I'd started off really early in my career back in Australia where I, I wanted to be, I think at the time I wanted to be like Adrian Reynard and, and have a you know a race car company like Reynard. That was the what I, the sort of goal back then. Um, and so when you know I'd done Formula One for a number of years, and um, I had actually looked at starting a race team, uh, another race team in Australia um, previously. So I suppose I was just going back to the, you know, the original sort of the original idea. And um, I got together, together some guys that used to work at um, Arrows and. We started doing sort of plans for everything, um, and and like everything, it's it's worth. It was great fun and really interesting to try and understand everything you'd have to do to start a team. Um, yeah. We we almost about to give up, and again, when opportunity meets you know meets um, preparation, you get luck. And the rules changed in Formula One in to, uh, roughly two thousand and five six, yeah. um, when there was a possibility of running B teams. And uh, so Honda was looking to run a B team, and so did was Red Bull. Um, the in the end, Red Bull bought Minardi, but um, Honda needed to set up a team from scratch. And we kind of had done all this planning and everything. And Aguri um, met um, met us. He already had Honda and and Bridgestone and the drivers and everything sorted out um, in Japan. Yeah. And um, he he met up with a guy called Daniel Odetto, who we'd worked with at, at um, Arrows. Um, previously and you know he knew what we were up to so you know everything just sort of came together um they needed certain things they had the money that the engines the drivers the tires the, all that sort of stuff and we had um, a plan and we knew exactly who we'd hire if um if something had happened because we'd been planning it for the previous year yeah um well while i was doing my um while i was doing my executive mba actually so i was kind of only working sorry going to the university two weeks every month and a half roughly um so in the rest of the time i was i was planning planning this so yeah that was a bit um a bit Lo- nuts loads of crazy. time to plan a formula one team then <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but um, pretty nuts but um great fun setting up something it's really um yeah. and that experience has helped me you know when we've been planning things for um the autonomous car company you know nothing seems impossible when you've done you know you've done something that seems impossible then you just yeah. you know someone said to me once you know if you don't know what to do next, take small steps, you know, make, take smaller steps. Yeah. Um, so uh, then, then things don't seem so insurmountable. Um, but starting the, the businesses that we've started recently, um, I got involved in the composites company after um, I did the Formula One team. And so I was in, sort of interested in private equity. Now I haven't yeah. done that yet. Um, but somebody said to me, you haven't brought the checks through the door yet. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I went and ran this composites company with um, some German guys and um, basically had to sell, you know, and learning how to sell is um, is interesting. You know, you got to make sure you pay the bills and keep the, the work coming through the door. So that was probably the, I don't know, the final piece of the puzzle that I that I felt like I needed next. And that sort of landed me in good stead for the for the next um, wow. uh, things that we've done. I, 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 I tell you what, I mean, that really uh strikes me that you know even at that point in your career so you know you've 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 done uh 
your sort of uh, professional education. You've done like work for some really prestigious brands. You've done an absolutely nuts thing of setting up an NF1 team, which you know was um, I, I think was a, a success in, ter- in terms of what those teams were trying to do. Um, and um, but then even still at that point just as you're talking about it here you know you're incredibly humble about it and you're still seeing yourself as needing to learn and kind of grow as a as a person i think um uh, you know a, a lot of people wouldn't have that kind of uh, mindset so it's um that's really interesting uh, i think a, an probably an important takeaway there i was um i was interesting i was just been sort of analyzing tesla recently just trying to understand a bit about you know why it's been so successful and i came across a, a podcast about agile and okay. i'd never i'd never learned agile um i know I, i'm starting i'm actually starting to teach myself a bit about agile and, and realize that actually it's the the theories are something that we've probably used in motorsports before and now i'm sort of going through and um, trying to understand how to join up experiences in motorsport to how agile works so i can see it's a it might be a competitive advantage to understand it a bit better and see if there's anything we could learn in the race team or with the autonomous cars that come from um, Agile, for example, that might give us a a competitive advantage because it seems to be one of the competitive advantages of um, Tesla. So you can't stop learning, can you? No, the Agile mindset's really, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, a lot of people come out of motorsport and, I think uh, at the risk of not upsetting anyone, but uh, I mean, I, I would say I probably had suffered from this. Uh, some people know I've worked in motor racing for a number of years as well, pre doing what I do now. And um, I certainly came out with a bit of an arrogance, I think, of, you know, I've been here, I've done that, I'm great at building teams, uh, you know, and um, going to work in a, a proper company, uh, as my mum always likes to say, you got a proper job. Um, <laughs> it's like getting punched in the face, you know, it was quite, uh, I think, F1 and, and motorsport is is really complicated, really tough, really brutal in a lot of ways. But then it's really simple in in other ways in terms of motivating your people and getting everyone kind of organized. And, you know, a lot of companies have to spend a huge amount of time working out what their strategy is. You know, and mm. it's really simple in, in motorsport. You get the car on the start line and you try and win the race, you know, and it's, it's sort of there isn't anything more complicated to it generally. Um, so learning how to take that and, um, you know, make proper businesses, which are sometimes less clear work, is is a real skill. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see uh, how you've done that. So so then Composites Company um, did that for a bit. <laughs> so I get very yes. humble about that. But Formula E, so you, you were right in at the beginning of Formula E. And that, oh, I can't even remember when that is. That's... Uh, <laughs> It's a few, it seems so new still, but we're, what's it? We're season season six now, seven? We're um, up to eight. We're just about to start season eight. Eight, um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, in a presentation that I do, um, I know that you know you were involved in electric um, uh, motors and everything really early on. And I re- remembered when um, I actually started to help Oxford Yasser Motors. Mm. It's been out of um, Oxford University. That was 2008. Yeah. And I was sort of saying to people in my presentation that, you know, electric cars feel like they've, um, you know, they've, they've just come alive. Let's say it's all starting to pick up. Yeah. It seems, but 
actually, it's, you know, it's been sort of, I don't know, 12, 13 years since I started looking at it. And I think you you were looking at it earlier than that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing how long these things take to, to, to happen, right? A 15 year um, overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, Tesla's been around for what is it eighteen years? I'm not, I can't remember now. Um, Two thousand six, I think, uh, off the top right. of my head. So okay, it's uh, is it six or long? Ah, te- uh, the com- uh, maybe it was six. It must you know? I should know this because Tesla obviously existed <laughs> pre Elon Musk. Because uh, although some yes. you know people forget that uh, as a company, it was around for a while with founders, and he was revolutionising the way we pay for stuff and. Uh, then, uh, then he he joined them. Uh, yeah, it's it's a long time ago. And I mean, back then mm. they were working with Lotus and you know building cars on yeah. the on the Lotus platform. And there was a lot of activity in the UK. It you know on on that. But I think even even the people who were involved, some people saw it. But I, I remember at the time, a lot of people were skeptical about this sort of project Lotus were working on, and it'll yeah. never fly. And there's this really crazy demanding american guy that comes in and asks us to make the doors close properly and uh, the roof not leak and stuff like this so um it, it it's a it's a long time ago and when formula e came about um i mean quite by accident but we, we my company did end up supplying into spark uh, so we had components on pretty much every formula e car uh, well not everyone in the first season uh, but it was it wasn't actually something that i i think I tried to stay away from it because I was worried I would probably get too committed um, or too too involved. So, but you you managed well. You're still there. You've managed to make a real success of Formula E. So, you know how how have you managed that? I think it's um obviously many people will have watched the Formula One race on the on the weekend. Um, it's a, it's amazing that, that you know the two top teams in F1 have been around for quite a long time. You know. Mm. Mercedes is a, I think, is the high-performance engine company has been around for sort of eighteen years or something like that. So, a lot of a lot of it, I think, is being in from the start and, and creating a stable team, um, understanding and being ahead of everybody in sort of incremental areas in in all areas. At the end of the day, it's still a race car. You know, it's an electric race car, but it's still a race car. It's still got um, dampers and tires and there's still race strategy, or the race strategy is different um, mm-hmm. than than in a in a Formula One or internal combustion engine car. But um, yeah, I think um, a lot of the success is the teams. Uh, you know, the drivers, Antonio, Jev, um, they're amazing guys. They they push us really hard. Um, an amazing group of engineers, and then all of the people around that, that support everybody, make sure bills are paid on time, and all those those elements that stop people having to stress about stuff. And just getting on with their jobs, so sort of getting um, things out of the way of people, making sure they can get on with with their jobs. Um, but really, just a big, you know, a great team with all the pieces of the puzzle. I must say that, yeah. you know, if you're missing one piece of the puzzle, you probably couldn't win in motor racing and probably sport in in general, um, because there's you know 10, 12 other teams that are all um, uh, being as competitive as you with lots of smart people. And I mean, it's changed massively over the years as well. With in the beginning, you guys, it was basically a standard car. You couldn't do all that much to the car, and you kind of were a race operation. Um, now you, you know, you've got huge flexibility. You need massive competency in powertrain, 
development, etc. So uh, how have you managed to stay at the front, you know, compared to some of the, the bigger names and budgets that have come into it? Yeah, um, I mean, having worked in Formula One and seeing the areas that we spent money and potentially wasted money over the years that didn't really matter to the to the normal person on the street. Um, we Alejandro did a great job. FI, the teams helped and, and worked on things, you know, took experiences from Formula One, other people that experienced like Andretti's that uh, experienced at IndyCar, um, people like the ABT team had obviously done DTM. So everybody put their sort of heads together quite early on and said, you know, these are the things that were bad about our series or, or you know, didn't control costs, et cetera, but these are the bits we should be spending all of our time on. So, you know, I think the future is a, a automotive is, I think what they're now calling a software defined car. Yeah. So the focus in formulary is definitely a lot of software. Oh, right. So um, the software is quite um, free. So we do a lot of work um, in simulators um, and on the software. And then the hardware side, obviously DS Automobiles does the, um, the powertrain. Mm-hmm. Um, so they um, have had all the engineers behind um, DS have done everything from, you know, the Citroën rally cars to the Peugeot Le Mans and, and all those kind of things. So they've got an incredible, incredibly diverse um, experience in, in race cars and, and powertrains. Um, and they were in it from season two. So again, they've, they've learned along the way. Um, I often ask them, do you think, you know, when back then when you entered Formula E, did you think you'd have come this far? And, and, and most people say, no, actually, it's been incredible how much we've developed um, an electrical powertrain in, in, these, in these seasons. So um, I think some people don't realize that the, the powertrains themselves are different between the manufacturers yeah. now. Um, and so obviously DS does our powertrain and you've got others um, in the series um, that also do their own powertrains. Um, so powertrain, focusing on the electrical powertrain and the software is, is kind of trying to make it as relevant to road cars as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, be able to learn things that can be taken over to, to road cars. And and can you tell us a bit about the powertrain? So what's actually sort of, uh, what is it, what is in a, a Formula E car? Well, I'm not quite so good as you at the electronics <laughs> of, 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 a, of a Formula E car, but basically obviously electrical um, motor, uh, inverters, um, software controllers to control the um, inverters in, in the electric motor. Yeah. Um, quite a, the gearboxes are not multi-speed anymore, uh, basically a kind of direct drive. That's something that, you know, changed from season one. The season one car had a five-speed gearbox. And yeah. I remember at the time, some of us had come from, from F1 and, and wondered if there's a trade-off between the quick shift gearboxes, which is what we used to call them in, in F1 or the seamless shift gearboxes, um, whether or not they would be an advantage um, in Formula E. But as it's turned out, uh, I think everybody is now running um, uh, electrical uh, motors with only gearboxes to drop down the, um, the RPMs to the wheels. Yeah. So that's in itself was a, a kind of, I'm not going to say innovation, but it, what's great about motor racing is, of course, um, every year, you can, well, not every year, you can change the hardware. It's actually gone to a two-year cycle now. But um, we can change the software um, quite often during the season, um, so that can be changed often. Mm. Um, but hardware changes every two years. And if you're, you know, I always think, you know, if you're designing a road car, you've got to design a road car for kind of 15, 20 years running on the road. So you've, you've got to 
think very carefully about what you're developing, whereas a race car um, can effectively change every year and in F1 it can even change quicker. So what's great about motor racing is that you can iterate and try things and, and the fact that everybody's iterated to the same similar sort of um, uh, layout, yeah. um, but still doing a lot of work on software and all the details of um, the how the powertrain works is um, quite incredible. It, it, it's interesting that because they, they've sort of gradually brought in increasing technical freedom for the teams to, to you know, at, at the beginning, there was very little you could change. But and now there's 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 more. There's still a few controlled items, isn't there? The although this yeah. uh, the battery pack is still controlled, isn't it? So that's a standard battery pack. Yeah. We decided very early on that if the, if the battery pack was free, it would drive the costs up too quickly of the series. And because the series is new, you need the audience and everyone to grow sort of at a, at a great rate, obviously. Yeah. You don't want to make it cost too much money. Um, otherwise, um, well, people can't afford to can't afford to do it. So, yeah, yeah the batteries, the batteries kept the same. The, the monocoques kept the same um, front suspension, but then the rear suspension the inboard side can change because each manufacturer has their own gearboxes and casings. Yeah. Um, but the, the outboard end is uh, similar across the, the cars because, again, we decided there's a, I suppose, everybody together, FIA manufacturers and everybody, that there was no point in spending a lot of money on uprights and and those things, which, you know, yeah. they weren't going to change the world really. Um, it was better to focus in on the, the things that really make it an electric uh, racing car. And initially, the cars didn't do regenerative braking, did they? Using the motor, but you, they, they, they do now. Is that right? Or do they still, they still don't do regen? They were a bit limited at the beginning, um, but there, but there was regeneration. I mean, yeah, what's okay. really exciting is that the next um, generation three of car, which comes in, in uh, next season, that's that's got about was it 150 kilowatts of regeneration on the front wheels. Ah, and okay. uh, 350 on the rear. So wow. actually you're putting um, uh, 600 kilowatts into the battery in regeneration, which is, you know, oh, sorry, 500 kilowatts back into the battery, but that's incredible. That's like a 500 kilowatt charger, isn't it? Like a, um, that's what it's equivalent to in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So every, every time the, the, the driver brakes, there's an incredible amount of um, energy that goes into the, into the battery so that's quite exciting and that's coming uh, those cars will be seen i think in a few months time in in the, the middle of this season so yeah the region is a really big element i was just driving my electric car home from the from the airport and in the certain braking modes it's quite good you can you, know, you lift off the throttle obviously and you can yeah. regenerate quite a lot of energy into the batteries so the similarities between the road and the, and the race cars are, are quite interesting that's interesting um that they go, it, they've got it on the front as well, and I, I think I had spoken a couple of times about because um, in 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 a race car when you're braking, normally you brake quite hard, and actually the back end of the car goes relatively light, and all, all of the sort of braking effort is on the front wheels typically. But uh, in the previous seasons with Formula E, the kind of dynamic balance of sort of actually brake doing all the regen at the back um but trying to keep the car so it handled properly I, I believe was quite difficult talking to some of the uh the engineers that i know so um it's seeing a higher level and and uh and on the front um does that the, the system on the front actually put torque in as well so you're driving through the front wheels or is it just regening it's just being it's, it's just regen at the moment i think maybe in the future they could consider um 
you know, having four wheel drive maybe. Uh, but at the moment, it's just the the regen. Oh wow, fascinating. And then um, on on the motor side, on the cars, you, you know, you, you you rightly say everyone's kind of stepped away from the multi speed uh, transmissions. I think when a part 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 of that, I think is the the, the circuits are uh, you know all these sort of city um, circuits are quite um, twisty twisty stuff. But uh, I'm right in thinking the motors have all gone to quite high speed. Um, so you're going really fast on your motor with a reduction uh, gear down to the the wheels. Is that is that about right, basically? So twenty thousand yeah. RPM motors and things like that. Over the years, the, the, everyone's figured out the optimization, and um, you probably be able to answer this better than me. But I also understand probably more capability in the power electronics to yeah. to um, adjust things between low and high speed of the engine, and therefore get better kind of torque response over the um, over the whole range. Um, more probably quicker than everyone had expected, maybe, because that's obviously the idea of a gearbox to, yeah. to you know, keep the motor in its sweet spot. But I think electronics has developed very well over the last years, and, and that's where um, kind of a lot of the secret source is in, is in the, um, the power electronics and obviously the software that controls it. So yeah. makes it all relevant to road cars. You know, all of the techniques and processes developed in, in motor racing can be used to support um, design of a of um, a road car. So you, you mentioned that um, season eight is bringing uh, regen braking on the front and and more powerful regen braking on the back. What what else? Uh, what else is coming with season eight? What else is it bringing? Um, so obviously, always um, sustainable in, increases in sustainability um, because obviously we 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 push the fact that we're obviously and we're not obviously but we are. There've been net zero carbon since um, inception because um, from the very beginning, um, the um, uh, FIA and the Formula E have been focusing on making sure that the, the sport is um, sustainable in, in all elements. Um, the new car, I think that the basically thoughts is that, that it will, um, you'll have to regenerate 40% um, of the energy during a race, which is quite incredible. So the drivers have to um, regenerate Quite a lot of energy in the race otherwise they won't finish um so oh, wow. <laughs> that's um that's interesting mm. um so the car's a bit lighter it obviously can be faster but um the tracks um are not changing dramatically and i, I suppose one of the interesting ones is that you won't have rear hydraulic brakes um so it's going to be all based on regeneration at the, at the rear so that's going to be fascinating i don't know of any other cars that that's been done in before maybe it has been done somewhere I didn't know about, but that's that'll be oh, wow. um, quite fascinating as well. So that just um, there's no no mechanical braking system on the back axle other than the regen in the uh, in yes. the in the primary right. traction motor. Wow, that is yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. It's uh, I guess there's a lot of lot of power there, um, and it is it is that thing probably where you don't really don't need it. Um, it must be quite hard actually for the drivers to. Sort of modulate the brake pedal uh, enough to to get effective regen, rather than just diving into the hydraulic brakes all the time. Well, uh, when they when they brake, they first sort of lift the throttle and that they coast a little bit, oh. and they pull the paddles on the steering wheel, which then regenerates um, to the um, to the rear at the moment, and obviously that'll be the same for the front in the future. And then eventually they they touch the brakes and blend the sort of brakes between the regeneration and the um uh, and the, the the physical brakes so yeah there's a lot of 
Oh, wow. Technology that um, obviously DS works on having experienced things um, in rally cars and other things in, in, that, in that way. So yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into getting the car balance right, obviously. Um, and then just yeah, being able to regenerate enough energy to, to finish the race, basically. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. I wouldn't, uh, yes, I wouldn't aim, envy, uh, you know, having to cope with other drivers bobbing and weaving around you. But then, be like flying a helicopter, left hand, right yeah. hand. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the, I always sort of say that the, the workload's quite high in Formula E. The other element is that you, it's usually done over one day. Um, sometimes we have two day races, but. You know, you have to arrive in the morning. You only get a small practice sessions. You can't crash the car. Well, you can, of course, crash the car. But <laughs> if you do, it messes up the rest of your You're day. Done, yeah. you, you you find that even if the mechanics and everybody gets the car fixed and ready to go, the day sort of the flow of the day is interrupted almost too much. Um, yeah. It's not often that that sort of thing happens and someone can get back to the um, to the very front, especially as it's, as it's over one day. And um uh, it's not like you know you crash it on a Friday and then maybe fix the car and then you get to run another session <laughs> and then check it out in the next session the next day and then you know obviously qualifying. So um, yeah, yeah, having it all in one day makes the drivers they have to sort of be on it um, in the beginning and <laughs> yeah, and then and then come up to speed really fast and then not making any mistakes and and deliver in the race, um, which is a high and with a higher workload, like you're just saying about. Um, all these different, you know, adjustments they can make to all of the regeneration and the brakes mm. and, and everything is um quite incredible. Yeah, I, having been the guy repairing bits of composites in his hotel bedroom at night um, and working all nighters on cars and stuff at tracks, I quite like the sound of that actually. Uh, you know, can't <laughs> bin it in testing or qualifying and then uh, expect to have it back on the on the grid again. So yeah, that's uh, it's quite different to to how it is in other race series. So. Uh, Indeed. Season eight is going to be uh, really exciting. I, I think, um, I mean, it, it, it's really interesting how Formula E has grown as sort of a product and a brand. Um, and, you know, compared to Formula One, even, you know, I think because it, it, it's very different, obviously, completely different budgets and different tracks. And, you know, but it's got a bit of a, a, a strong following uh, Formula E in. Um, out there in the world, uh, you know, and whereas Formula One just kind of still it's struggling, really. I think to to stay relevant, it feels like Formula One. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Formula One is uh, we all know um, had a lot of success with Drive to Survive. That's brought a lot of you know new fans, especially in America and stuff, to to Formula One. Um, it's been obviously an exciting exciting season this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's still bigger because it's been going, you know, it's been going for however long it's been going. Um, so Formula E only obviously started at, um, sort of seven years or so ago, as we discussed earlier. So it takes time to get people to know that it's there and understand it. So awareness and, and those kind of things is all, um, all important. Uh, but, but certainly, um, yeah, staying relevant is quite a hard, um, situ situation, obviously, as the world changes to, it seems anyway, um, EVs at a faster and faster pace. Um, yeah. Relevance is, is always key, I think. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they, they do in F1 over yeah. the next few years. Certainly. And I mean, manufacturers, where manufacturers put their effort and even this the whole concept yeah. of um, 
you know, people, uh, you know, relatively affluent people, on you know, make a bit of money, used to go out and buy a loud, brash car, and actually that <clears throat> people aren't tending to do that thing sort of thing anymore. And I think that's a bit of a challenge in terms of the. So I think I, someone called it considerate consumerism. I think is the uh, the new thing. Okay. So changes uh, everything really. Yeah, it does. It does. It's going to be fascinating this next few years. See how it goes. Yeah. So um, you, you mentioned uh, Mike earlier, and we sort of talked about all the motorsporty stuff. But just want to um, tell me a bit about about Street Drone and and kind of where that uh, kind of came into being in, in amongst all of this. Yeah, it's it's funny because somebody, uh, I think it was about sort of eight years ago now, someone um, asked us to have a look at doing a platform for um, some autonomous autonomous car development. And because um, they knew we'd built race cars and, and done all those kind of crazy programs and stuff and, and knew that we knew, knew enough to do it um, ourselves. We So they, they asked us to do something and, and we looked at some ideas and we came up with using the Twizy as a, um, a, group, a development platform. Because it's um it's price, it's size, it's electric, etc. Um that that would seem like a good thing. So um we started to to make a car and then we were able to sell um a car to a few you know initial customers sort of sort of six years ago or so. And so Street Drone was born at that point. And so Mike Potts, he, he's um a partner in the business and, and he runs it from day to day. And um that sort of has just grown and grown. Um we then did a, a Nissan ENV 200, again, electric, a van that's, um, that has uh, variants. It could be a, a taxi, because it's a taxi variants of that car. could be a delivery vehicle, could also be um, you know, a seven-seater. So it's got room in the back for engineers to sit in the back and, and um, monitor things while the car is uh, uh, being tested. Those cars are around the world as far as Australia, Hong Kong, and then closer here in Europe, in um, Germany, France places like that. So a um, number of the cars are at universities around the world, um, development centers um, in the UK, especially for testing uh, autonomous technology. Um, we started to do our uh, an open source software for the autonomous driving, which is called Project Aslan, um, A-S-L-A-N. So you can see that on GitHub and other things. So you, um, students can get involved in, in the autonomous software. And then more, more recently, we uh, raised um, some more money recently from um, Wilco, which is the um, hardware uh, high street retailer, to look at the future of last mile deliveries and also what we're calling first mile deliveries. So we're doing a big project up at Nissan Sunderland, which um, uh, is really interesting, where we take a, a Turberg terminal tractor, it's electric, and it pulls... Um, what's going to pull um, HGV or semi-trailers from one part of the Nissan plant to another. So that's, we're calling that kind of the first mile in some ways of a, um, <laughs> yeah. of a, of a, a journey, let's say. And then we're looking at a, a small um, vehicle based on something like the Twizy to be um, a last mile delivery vehicle from in, in neighborhoods is where we're focusing. So focusing in that sort of last mile yeah. um, area in, in a sort of radius of around sort of, two three kilometers around um a high street and what was it that i mean uh, <laughs> i almost sort of know the answer but I, i'm gonna ask this because obviously the guy who decided to set up his own formula one team so the idea of taking on the silicon valley you know billionaires uh, at their own game with an autonomous vehicle you know 
all of the the money that's flowed into autonomous vehicle development around the world. What were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we sort of started by thinking we might be just an R and D company, but then as time's gone on, those guys are focusing on the big markets. So they're focusing on ro- robo taxis, basically. Which, yeah. if you look at the road car market, there's 80 million road cars sold a year. In the, and and theoretically, those cars or this their starting position was always they'll be able to level five autonomy, drive anywhere from anywhere to anywhere. I think people are starting to realize that that's maybe not as easy as everyone thought at the beginning. Um, but we've been sort of as typical engineers um, thinking, what's the real market? What's the real market that's nearer term um, that those guys won't want to play in? So um, we sort of started to focus down on so the, the first mile deliveries and, and the last mile deliveries going only 20 miles an hour we've said 20 is plenty so we've said we, we'll <laughs> yeah. be focusing on the because you know most streets in in our cities are now going to 20, yeah. 20 miles an hour so maximum 20 miles an hour so again we start to really limit down the variables um so we're not trying to drive everywhere at maximum speeds on motorways that's leave that up to mercedes waymo you know um all those companies yeah. We focus down on 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 the customer, so focus down on um, what are we really trying to build, building things for the customer, um, not just building technology for technology's sake, trying to find um, markets that fit with autonomy. Um, a lot smaller markets, I suppose, uh, in some ways than the, than the robo-taxi market, but still quite large um, when you think of how used to uh, these last-minute deliveries will become after, uh, obviously, going through COVID lockdown periods. So, um, yeah, we're not re- we're not trying to compete with the way most of the world. And as as Mike often says to me, you know, he came from the advertising business actually, and and there's so many players as the market grows, there'll be room for a lot of people in this market because the markets are so big. So maybe in the end, we only do a small niche as we start to find the you know the product market fit of the the stuff we're developing. Um, and we may you know start to focus down on a on a, on a particular market. Um, and I'm sure there'll be competitors, uh, but a, it'll be a pretty big market. Yeah. Wow. So, so thinking about, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Thinking about everything that you do, um, you know, and everything that's going on in the world with autonomy and, and EVs uh, and stuff like that. What are you most looking forward to in the next couple of years? Yeah. What's the the most interesting things? I mean, obviously with Formula E, it's quite exciting to do these really interesting big jumps in EV. So the the differences in the technology of the next Formula E car is quite exciting. That's really starting to help define the future and, and probably will start to have an influence, more of an influence on, on road cars. And obviously trying to find the right product market fit, although we think we have with the autonomous vehicles and really get some products out there um, uh, on the roads as we um, you know work with the, with the governments and others to, to allow level four, um, we call level four autonomous vehicles to run on the roads. Um, a lot of work still to be done, but there's some exciting things coming up. Fantastic. We'll, uh, we'll call it a day at that because we are, we're actually over tied slightly in terms of, uh, appreciate you've got an absolute ton of stuff to get on with, um, with, the with, with all of, all of the roles that you've got and things you've got going on. So, Thank you uh, so much for taking the time out, Mark. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk to you today. Enjoyed doing it. Thanks, Thanks very much for inviting me on, Ryan. Brilliant.